This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Go to Daniel chapter 3. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 3. A familiar story. And pastors preached on this many times. But just this week when I was thinking about tonight, it just came back to me, I believe. The Lord in his way has maybe something more to say to us tonight. Maybe you'll see yourself in this story. Maybe we'll all see ourselves in this story. And the Lord will minister something fresh to us tonight. So Daniel chapter 3, I'm not going to read all the verses, we'll comment as we, as we go along. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And we'll go on and we'll comment on some of the verses later um, in the rest of the chapter. But it, it, it's, I think it's interesting here that, and, and my thought was, Anytime a man sets himself up, and we hear as Nebuchadnezzar has set himself up as a god and has made an image of himself, it automatically is going to bring us into conflict as Christians. And we're going to experience that. We've been talking about it maybe on and off for the last sort of 18 months, two years. And it's the same tonight. There are things that are being set up in our government, in our nation, maybe in your workplace, in every sphere of our lives, at school, university, where it's starting to bring the Christian into conflict with those in authority. And the thing about it is, God has allowed these things to happen. You know, because we live in a fallen world, these things are going to happen. And we have to accept that these things are going to happen. Now, every one of us 
doesn't want that. It's not something we look forward to. If you're looking forward to that, then I think there's something wrong. But because we live in a fallen world, this, these things are going to happen. And I think there's, there's some things in this chapter. There's, well, I want to share seven things with you tonight. Now, don't panic. We're not going to be here all night, so we're not. But there's four things, first of all, I believe this chapter tells us about man. And then the other three are what God says to us as Christians. But there's four things that we're going to have to put up with while we live in this earth concerning man. And the first one is man's pride. Man's pride. And we can see it quite clearly here in this chapter. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Now, if you look at chapter 2, I haven't time to go into it, where King Nebuchadnezzar had had the dream and he couldn't get interpretation for it. But Daniel was the only one that could interpret it. And we know the statue of gold and of, and of silver and iron and a mixture of clay and iron. And when Daniel explained that to him, he says, O king, you are, you're the head of that, the gold. But there's coming a time when, when your kingdom will be replaced and it'll be a kingdom of, of, of sorry, of bronze and, and of, or sorry, it was a bronze, yes, sorry, and then down to iron. And it talks about different periods and different kingdoms. But it seems to be that this went to Nebuchadnezzar's head because he knew that the kingdom was going to be, his kingdom would one day be replaced. But if you notice, he made a statue of full gold. And I think this shows the depths of Nebuchadnezzar at this stage is pride. He couldn't imagine himself being replaced. He could only see his own majesty. He could only see his own glory. And he was a man who was full of his own pride. He made an image of gold. And he placed it in the plain of Jura. Now, when you place anything in a plain, you can see these things for miles. From whatever way, you, you know, maybe if you're coming into the, into, the, into the plain, you can see them for miles. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted to show his glory. He wanted to show the greatness of himself. He placed it on the plain of Jura. And you sit and you think about in, in Genesis, when it talked about the Tower of Babel, it too was built on a plain. It says we were put it, it built it on a plain that everyone can see it. They wanted people to see that they were great in their own sight and God was displeased with it. Again, that's man's pride. And then he invited all of the, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication. He wanted everyone to see his pride. This is man's pride quite openly clear in, this, in, in Nebuchadnezzar in this image. Now, before we judge Nebuchadnezzar, this is a pride that is in man's heart. And it can be a pride that is in our heart. We ought to be careful that, that we don't find that pride in our heart as well. But we're going to have to deal with man's pride. 
as, as the conflict for the three Hebrew boys, which we'll go on to read about, it brought them into conflict because of man's pride. He invited all the people to see it and everyone to take part. Verse 4 says, you are commanded. You are commanded to come. And man's pride wants to command and control. They were commanded, you will come. There wasn't really any argument here. And what this says, I believe, a man's pride says, there's no place for God in this image. There's no place for God. Man is his own God. And I believe this, this shows us clearly the depths of man's pride. And this is why God hates pride. When we think about Satan, when pride was found in his heart, he was cast out of heaven. When pride rose up within him, I will be like the most high God. And that pride is within us because we are fallen creatures. There's no place for God and man is his own God. Now we see that today. Man is in control of his own destiny. Don't get me wrong. Man has done some great things, but God has given him the knowledge and the wisdom. But man says, I have done this myself and there's no place for God. So man's pride is going to bring us into conflict. We're going to come into conflict with man in his pride. Second thing we're going to have to deal with, and it stems from the pride, is man's envy. Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came from forward and maliciously accused the Jews. We're going to have to deal with man's envy. Man's jealousy. Certain Chaldeans. Listen, not everybody likes you and not everybody likes me. We're commanded to love one another. But the world does not like us. If we're going to take our stand for God and we're going to stand tall for God and we're going to stand in God's word, not everyone is going to like that. We're going to have to deal with man's envy. Now, if you're like me, which I'm sure you are, we all like to be liked. We all like to be liked. But listen, we can't drop our principles. We can't drop our standards. We can't stop, drop our stand for God to be liked and to fit in with man. Because man in his pride is envious and jealous Certain Chaldeans. You know, there's a boldness in man. And in these men, they have found a way to use the law that has been passed here. This command. And they have found a way to use it against the people of God. And especially these three Hebrew boys. They've found a way to use it. And listen, you, you, you know as well as I do today, there's laws being passed and they're being used to keep the Christian quiet. They're being used to persecute the Christian. They're being used to put free speech, as they call it, down. It's being used to stop the word of God. He's a man is envious and he's using it to keep the Christian quiet. He's pushing 
and he's using this opportunity to attack God's people. He's using it to attack God's people. Look, we know Satan can't get at God, but he tries to get at God through his people. And he uses man's envy and man's pride to attack us. So many of today's laws are being passed and they're being used in this way. You know, let's be on the, what the story tells us. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These three boys were head and shoulders, along with Daniel, were, three, were head and shoulders above all of the Chaldeans. Yes, they were foreigners, but they had been brought, but they stood head and shoulders, were found to be trustworthy. They were found to be, found to be good and excellent. It says of Daniel, he had an excellent spirit in him. And I believe these three Hebrew boys were exactly the same, had an excellent spirit within them. But not everybody likes that. And especially if you're a Christian. They're envious and they're jealous. You know, I've worked in places, I've seen places, and sadly I'm not giving any names or anything like that, but I've watched grown men, 40s, 50s, 60s, being so jealous of one another, envying one another, going out of their way to make trouble and hassle where they should have been working together. And it's a point to us as Christians, as the family of God, that we need to work together. But man is envious at his heart because of his pride. Moses was envied. David was envied. envied, And the disciples were all envied. And listen, envy never brings out the best. Envy has never brought out the best in anyone. Which brings us to our third point. We're dealing with man's pride. We're dealing with man's envy. We've got to deal with man's accusing. We've got to deal with man's accusing. It says, in verse 8 again, it says, they maliciously accused the Jews. They maliciously accused the Jews. They went right out of their way to cause trouble and accuse and bring, bring a, a, an attack against them. The word maliciously means they slandered them. It gives the phrase to chew up. You know, we used to say, I'll chew you up and spit you out. You know, you've heard that phrase, haven't you? And that's what it means. It means to slander, to chew them up, to devour, to eat. They just didn't want them out of the way. They wanted to destroy them. And man's accusing wants to destroy the Christian, wants to destroy the witness of God because Satan is behind it. So they came forward maliciously, accusing. They knew what these three boys were like. They knew their integrity, the quality. But instead of protecting that, instead of lifting that up, they wanted to pull it down. That's the way man works. I know not in, in, in every situation, but in his heart, he accuses. What does the Bible say? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's God's commandment. But these men 
had no regard for God because they were in their pride, they were in their envy, which brought the, the accusing of the people of God. Lies. They told lies. They were looking for false witnesses for Jesus. They looked for them. They sought them out. They tried to get them to agree together. Listen, there's people out there who will tell lies about you. They'll tell lies about you because you're a Christian, because you're upright, because you have integrity, because you have standards, because you're a follower of God, because you live according to God's word. They will accuse you because of that. And they'll look for every opportunity. So we're looking, we've got to put up with man's pride, with man's envy, with man's accusing. And fourthly, we've got to put up with man's anger. What does it say in verse 13? They had accused the Chaldeans, brought them before Nebuchadnezzar, and what does he say? Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, listen, a man in his pride, when that pride is cut and attacked, he gets angry. He gets furious. Nebuchadnezzar got furious openly here, but there's some who get furious inwardly and look for every opportunity. But he's in a furious rage. Verse 19, it says, and then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anybody ever face change when they've got angry at you? Sharon and Jason's laughing away there, but... <laughs> but you've seen it. You've seen it. Man's anger is furious, and there's rage and filled with fury. And the face change is all snarly, and they just want to attack and I watch people, and especially evolutionists, and, you know, we're talking some, I've seen interviews with Richard Dawkins and other ones, but there's, there's many others. And there's a nastiness with their attitude. It's not just proving a point with them. They want to destroy and pull down and tear down. And the anger eats them up. The Bible says, an angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Has the red mist ever descended? Sadly, I have to say it has. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you any stories. Well, if you tell me yours, I'll tell you mine, yes. <laughs> but it's, you've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. The red mist descends, and it only leads to bad. It only leads to trouble. It only leads to, you're going to have to go back and apologize. And some things are hard to put right. We've got to be careful with our anger. But man's anger, we've got to put up with it at times. You know, in his anger, he's out of control. Nebuchadnezzar is out of control here. He can't say and do enough at this moment against these three Hebrew boys because they won't worship his pride. 
They won't look at him as, do you not know who I am? Now, you've got to honor people for their position, but this is worship, and he wants to take away worship from Almighty God, the one true God. He's out of control. He's not out of control. He heats the fiery furnace seven times hotter than it should be. And man's anger, it's absolutely irrational. It's irrational. Some of the things he does in his anger, it's just, you look at it and think, he's lost it. They have lost it. Man's anger is irrational and he heats it up. But let's not be surprised because some of you at this particular moment, and if you're not knowing the nature of this world, you will be there at one time or another. You will be at the end of edge of man's pride, of his envy, of his, of his accusing, and at his anger. Let's not be surprised because these three Hebrew boys are in Babylon because this is where God has brought them to. Maybe today you're living in a fiery furnace. Maybe you're going through something. And you are seeing man at his worst. But there's three things we've got to realize. Told you it wasn't going to be that long. There's three things we've got to realize. Number one, you need to realize that God is with you. Hallelujah. Realize that he is with you. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, verse 19, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it, usually he, it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their outer garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who stood up, who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. But these are lovely verses. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. I see four men. Jesus is with us. We use the verse so often, but let's not lose the importance of it and the reality of it. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's as close to any one of us as we are in these seats today, if not closer. You know, when Jesus went up into heaven and the disciples stood looking, 
And then when he poured out his Holy Spirit, Jesus was as close to them because of the Holy Spirit as though he had already, if he was there in the flesh. The only difference was they couldn't see him. The same power, the same authority, the same peace, the same comfort, the same mercy was there with them. The only difference was the perspective. They just couldn't see him, but his Holy Spirit was there. And that's the same with us today. The Holy Spirit is with us. Jesus is with us. He's closer than we can think. And we need to realize that in our dealings with man in everyday life. In the fiery furnace, he is there with us. He is so close to us. He is in the midst. He was in Joseph's pit. He was in Daniel's den. He was in the disciples' boat. He is with us on the mountaintop, and he is with us in the valley. That's where he is. Wherever we are, he will never leave us nor forsake us. The perspective has changed, but his presence hasn't. He is with us. Where there is, where he is, realize where he is, there is freedom. Even in the midst of the fiery furnace. What did it say there? I see four men. What does it say? Unbound. Walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of God. Unbound. Walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. Listen, we can walk. Now, listen. Not just talking. It's, it's not a positive thinking but it's a realization that where we find ourselves, he is with us and we can walk in that freedom, unbound, unhurt, set free in him. You, we, you and I are already, if you know Christ and I are set free already in our hearts, in our spirits, in our minds. Just maybe we won't go through some things but the victory is already won. Amen. The victory is already won. I was just chatting with Margaret there this morning, just along these lines, and it's the realization when we're going through the furnace that he's right there. He hasn't been taken by surprise. He didn't go, Margaret's there, Martin's, Margaret's there, Martin's there, Jason's there. I didn't really see that happening. No, he has been there all of the time and we can walk in freedom and peace unbound in the fiery furnace walking and not hurt if we don't get our perspective right and get our eyes on Jesus that's when we find ourselves in bondage that's when we find ourselves hurting that's when we find ourselves restricted when we stop looking at him and we start looking at our situations. 
Peter started to sink when he looked at the waves, when he should have been looking at Jesus. Let's keep our eyes upon the Lord. Let's look to him. Let me just read a couple of you verses from the staff for you. You don't need to turn to this. I wonder if Isaiah, before this happened, had any idea, prophetically looking forward. I don't think so. But the inspiration of God in Psalm 43, or sorry, Isaiah 43. But now thus saith the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Listen, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes, and honored, and I love you. Fear not, for I am with you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no saviour. Let's look to him. He is with us. And where he is, there is freedom. Let's look to him. Let's realize who we really are in Christ. Now, we may not go through doing somersaults, but we're firm and we're secure. We're not moaning and complaining, shouting at God, God, why did you do this to me? But we realize that God is with us and he is our all-sufficiency. What did the three Hebrew boys say? Verse 16. This is hard. We have to go through it. This is where we make our stand now. Verse 16. They've had a chance to repent and recant. What did he say? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We have no need to answer you in this matter. They had already made their minds up. We are not going to bow down. We are not going to bow down to your idol because we are servants of the living God. Their minds were made up. They were fixed. They were determined. You know, we live in a day where everything seems to have its price. Where contracts are not worth the paper they're written on. Where red lines are constantly shifting. We reach a red line and we push it a little bit forward. We push it a little bit forward. We say this far and no more. 
And then we change our minds and say, well, maybe a little more. These three Hebrew boys said, thus far and no more, period. And we have to be like that when it comes to dealing with the world. Thus far and no more. We are going to stand for God. We are going to stand with God. He is with us. Four boys, including Daniel, who are fixed in their hearts and in their minds and in their bodies and in their actions. There's absolutely no compromise in these four boys. No compromise whatsoever. One commentator puts it like this. We have no need to answer, answer you. You are, you are determined on your side and our mind is made up not to worship the image. There is therefore no use in our arguing as if we could be shaken from our principles. Let me read that again. We have no need to answer you. You are determined on your side and our mind is made up not to worship the image. There is therefore no use in our arguing as if we could be shaken from our principles. What's your principles? What's your principles? Can you be shaken from your principles? Are already you saying, I'm not going to argue with you. This is who I am. This is what I believe. And this is whom I serve. Is that your principle tonight? These three Hebrew boys didn't just make this up on the moment. If you read back in Daniel in chapter 1, and what was Daniel that said it? He determined not to defile himself with the king's food. And I'm sure these three boys were with him. But they determined. They didn't wait till it came. And then thought, what do we want to do? So let me ask you, is your mind made up tonight? Is my mind made up tonight? By God's grace, yes. Our minds are made up tonight. We're not waiting till something comes and thinking, hmm, what do I do here? There's no argument. This is who I am. I serve God. And it's thus far and no more. These three Hebrew boys were like that. No compromise whatsoever. And their attitude was, come deliverance or come death, we won't bow down. Why was their attitude like that? Because they knew that they were in Christ. They knew that they were in God, that God had their back. They knew they had won already. God will deliver us. It will be wonderful. It will be great. But if we die, we go to be with him. We can't lose. The victory is already won. We say that so often, but the victory is already won. And it was won on Calvary and Christ shed his blood for us. The Bible says, my heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid. It's Psalm 57 and Psalm 112. My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. We got to have a fixed heart tonight. Fixed firmly in the kingdom of God. We live in this world and we're going to have to put up with man's pride, man's envy, man's accusing. 
man's anger. But our hearts are fixed. Our hearts are fixed on Christ. I hope tonight that you've got something fresh out of that. Maybe the Spirit of God has been speaking to you tonight. Some of you are in very in fiery furnaces. Some of you, I don't know of you there. Maybe you are privately. But realize that God is there with you. Realize that you have freedom in him in the fiery furnace. And whether he brings us out of it or takes us through it or delivers us from it, our hearts are fixed on him. We look to him and we praise him and we worship him. I've asked Clifford tonight, because while I was going through this all week, I've had a song just going through in my head and I'm not even going to attempt to say it because once I start to open my mouth, I forget the words of it. But he's with us in the fire and the storm. The band's going to come and we're just going to, we're just going to praise him. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.